Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campus is joined with us in Appleton and Stevens Point, as well as those who watch us all over northern Wisconsin on television. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. We are uh, continuing our series on the significant events of the Old Testament. We just saw how God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. He blessed them, did everything for them in the wilderness, but then he sent them to take the promised land. Now they had to step out in faith and trust God as he was with them and blessing them. They conquered and subdued the land. Now they get to just enjoy life and follow the instructions they were given. And God gave them some promises. He said, if you will honor me and do the right thing, I will bless you beyond measure. If you don't, I will cause great hardship to come upon you. And of course, it doesn't take long before they start doing the wrong thing and hardship starts coming upon them. They would get themselves in trouble. They would cry out to God finally in repentance to make things right. God would come, send a deliverer to them. He would raise different people up. They were called judges. They didn't have kings and stuff at this time. God wanted to be their king. We'll get to that eventually and explain that. But uh, these men, in even a woman, Deborah was one of these judges that God used to uh, save the land. And uh, anyway, we're going to pick it up. We're, just, we're not going to go through all of them. We're just going to pick three of them. The first one we're picking is Gideon. This is actually in the book in the Old Testament called Judges. This is during this time. So we pick it up. Chapter 6, verse 7. Now, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, this isn't, you know, just, you know, they were naughty or they, you know, would hit their hammer on their thumb and have an expletive or anything. They were evil. They would get totally caught up in the pagan culture in which they had subdued and it began to corrupt them and they would worship false gods uh, that was tied to immorality and all kinds of, I mean, it's really bad. I'll spare you the description of the kind of things these people did, but it was horrible. One of them, they'd sacrifice their own children to these idols and stuff in the fire. and It was horrible. And this is the God who brought them out of Egypt and gave them the Ten Commandments. The first one is, you shall have no other God before me. And it's not very many generations before they are bowing down and worshiping these false gods. It's been a problem. It was a problem for them for thousands of years they finally get over it. I'll explain how when we get to that part in the Old Testament. But this same problem has affected people of faith, always has, even for Christians over the last 2,000 years. We go out, we preach the gospel, we, would, we basically conquered the Roman Empire. It's an amazing transformation if you read historically and how Christianity was changing the world and set up a new culture. Uh, but it doesn't take long before they start to corrupt themselves. One of the problems Christians have had, even to this day, 
is successfully passing our faith on to our children and to our children's children. Some are much more successful than, than others. I would encourage you to talk to those who are successful and have been successful. Ask them about it. One of the things that we encourage people, get your kids involved in the programs here at the church. Learn how to do this. Pastor Keith, Becky, we have programs for the adults. The parents show you how you can successfully pass your faith on to your children. But this has been a problem even to this day. You start getting to second and third generation Christianity and the kids start to corrupt themselves and they fall far away from God. Uh, we're actually having that problem even this day. Uh, the younger, you're talking, I'm talking about Christian kids raised in churches like ours, overwhelmingly are corrupting themselves at a level that is stunning. What they believe is so far from what the Bible teaches, it's enough to just make your head twist. They think they're being cool. They think they're being more acceptive and, uh, you know, and forgiving and understand. But what they're doing is they're letting the culture out there affect their culture. And uh, it's, you know, they're getting away with it right now. There's a butt kicking coming, I promise you. God does not tolerate this stuff. I don't know when it's going to happen, but if this doesn't stop by the time they take over this place, it's going to be a bad situation. God will not tolerate it. Uh, and he does that not out of hate, but of blessing. Uh, just like a father, as we read last week, discipline his son. So God will discipline those that he loves. Anyway, it's a problem of, of, in, in the church, even to this day. So these guys would get a few generations in, and then the younger generations will start to corrupt themselves and pull away from what God had taught them. So the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. They're hiding. They're hiding like critters in the sides of hills because they're trying to hide from these Midianites. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other eastern peoples, a bunch of otherites, invaded the country. And they camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. I mean, huge, massive groups of armies would band together and come and torment the Israelites. Now, God was allowing this because they were being disobedient. And now instead of great blessing, great trouble came upon them. And they struggled terribly. I want you to get a picture. You can imagine. I mean, if we were more of an agrarian society like we were 150 years ago, have, planting all the craps and stuff around here in Wisconsin, and the UPers would come down and destroy everything <laughs> and kill all the cows. And, you know, those UPers are tough people up there. And they would just wipe out everything. Can you imagine the poverty, the level of poverty? And they were so weak and ineffective, they couldn't fight them. It was a bad situation. You're talking about God kicking their butts. Things were not going well for them. They were barely surviving, hanging on by the skin of their teeth. They were miserable, and this went on for seven years. Midian, in verse 6, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they finally cried out to the Lord for help. And when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. We don't know who the prophet was. It never mentions his name. But he sends a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. 
I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me because that's exactly what they did. Again, this would happen over and over again. Instead of being people of faith that were affecting the culture, they were letting the culture affect their faith. And this is always a bad, bad combination. Anyway, in the midst of all this, after seven years of this horrible situation, terrible poverty, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat, but he was threshing it in a wine press to keep from the Midianites. So he's basically hiding in the basement, trying to deal with the food, what little they had. Uh, things were bad for them. He is full of fear and paranoia. It is a bad, bad situation. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. And he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now you have to understand, he did not feel like a mighty warrior. This is bad. He's hiding in the wine press, afraid of the Midianites. The Midianites are in town. They're kicking butt and taking names. We're hiding out. He said, chicken, we're going to find out that you had no self-esteem, this guy. He felt horrible about himself. He could only see himself through the lens of failure. This angel appears to him and says, you're a mighty warrior. And Gideon goes, I'm a girly man. What are you talking about? No now, this is what's fascinating about this. You see, the way God sees you is different than most of us see ourselves. We tend to view ourselves through the lens of failure <clears throat> because we're very quick and personal with our failures, and it's very close. And we start to feel like we're nothings, we're nobodies. You know, maybe God doesn't really, isn't really that excited about us. But you don't understand the Bible, when you read the New Testament, see, this is why it's so important to read the Bible, <clears throat> particularly the New Testament. When you start reading the New Testament, you start to get a picture of how God sees you, and it will change you. The Bible says when God looks at you, he sees righteousness. He says, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The scriptures tell us that we are more than conquerors in this life. Now, you know what a conqueror is? A conqueror is a guy who comes in and takes over everything. Total control. Dominates. He said, we're not conquerors. We're more than conquerors. Do you feel like that? Most of you do not. Why? Because we're too close to our failures, too close to our mistakes, and we tend to view ourselves through the lens of failure. And you have to understand, when God looks at you, he sees great potential. And when you start to read the scriptures and get that into your head, you start to see how God sees you, and it starts to change the way you live. It changes the way that you approach life. You are now, instead of a cloud of doubt, you are now filled with the boldness of confidence. Light is booming out of you instead of darkness raining on you like Eeyore. Oh, bother. Oh, bother. Like Christians say, how you doing? Oh, bother. That's not the way we're supposed to live. And he comes to Gideon and says, you're a mighty warrior. <clears throat> so anyway, <clears throat> Gideon feels like a failure. He's a weak, he's a nobody. He's probably this hairy, creepy-looking guy. <laughs> he might, in fact, even been Aaronaceous. 
There's the word of the day, children. Erinaceous. It's the word that means a person who looks like a hedgehog. <coughs> now, you got to think, this is a very, the English, we have a word in English to describe someone who looks like a hedgehog. We got a word for it. You're thinking, just saying, that guy looks like a hedgehog, right? That's all you got to say. We actually have a word for it. <coughs> I'm telling you, 150 years ago, the average American's vocabulary consisted of 50,000 words. Today, it's about 5,000. We are dumbing down at an unbelievable rate. You ever feel like you can't find the right words to explain how you feel? Hmm? You ever feel that? It's because we don't have the words anymore. Literally. We don't know we got to piece a bunch of simple words together to try. It's not good. And that's why you got your English lesson for the day. God loves you even if you're Arenaceous. All right. <clears throat> What's the, I don't even know what a hedgehog looks like. <laughs> anyway, all right. So the Lord turns to Gideon, this erudacious looking character, and says to him, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Now you got to understand, he is hiding. He's a chicken. They are oppressing them. They can't fight. And this angel says, go get him, big boy. <laughs> it's like, what? And Gideon says, pardon me, my Lord. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. Manasseh is a little clan in the first place. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. I'm at the bottom of the totem pole. This is, I'm a nobody, I'm a nothing. And the Lord said, I'll be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Now Gideon is listening to this, and a lot of times when you, when you read the Old Testament, it says the Lord appeared or something like You'll look at the words and it's interchangeable with an angel, but then the Lord says it. So what it is is the angel is speaking to them, but they're hearing it as the words of the Lord. So that's why it jumps back and forth. The Lord himself is not there. This angel is speaking. And you have to understand, he's not glowing with big wings. It's like gigantic moth. These angels look like men. They look like men. They were good-looking men, actually. Quite the stud muffins, from what I understand. I can explain to you, but never mind. Anyway, so, so this really good-looking guy shows up, and he's just talking to them, and they can tell there's something different about this guy. And they often recognize them as angels, but they're not like we think of in our comic book minds, all right? So this guy's talking to him, and he, <clears throat> he wants to know, you know, is this really God talking? So... Uh, he says, look, if I found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Now, it sounds a little weird because the guy's actually talking to him. But he said, when it's really you, he meant, is it really God speaking through this representative? So, um, so he says to him, please don't go away till I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, again, the angel, this guy talking, said, I'll wait till you return. <laughs> now, look what happens. Now, Gideon goes inside and prepares a young goat. That means he takes the goat, he kills the goat, he skins the goat, he prepares the goat, he cooks the goat. This is taking some time. <laughs> All right? This is not fast food. He takes a bunch of flour, makes bread without yeast. This is taking a while. I don't know how long this angel's out there going. <laughs> Come on, where is he? We're so impatient today. Man, I was, I was trying to heat up my cup of water this morning in the microwave, and I'm like, 
So it takes a long time. Finally, he brings it out to this angel. The angels of God said to him, okay, now take that meat and the unleavened bread, place it on the rock. You can pour out the broth. Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flares up from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel disappears. Well, that's impressive. <laughs> okay. So apparently this was the Lord speaking to me. Uh, but then he freaks. When Gideon realized that it was an angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face! Exclamation point. This is not celebratory. He's not going, Woohoo! I saw an angel. He's going, Ah! I saw an angel. And he's freaking out. Why? Because they were convinced if you saw an angel or God, you would die. And then the Lord says to him, Relax. Don't get so stressed. You're not going to die. So then we go to the battle, verse 33. And now all the Midianites and Amalekites and all the other ites joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Remember it said, you couldn't even count how many. It was like a swarms of locusts. It was a massive army. Multiple armies. Eastern armies would gather and now they're coming to punish Israel once again. And it says that the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. And now it starts to change him. There's something about the Spirit of God will change and transform you. And all of a sudden now, this guy who was a chicken of a chicken is filled with confidence. And here comes this army, and Gideon goes out and blows the trumpet. Whatever the forms were that called for everybody to gather to go to war. So he sends out, um, he blows the trumpet, summoning the Abizrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms. He also, also went into Asher, Zebulun. All these Jewish people were coming. Uh, so they went up to meet them. Now, they're ready for this battle. Now, Gideon starts to doubt again. Again. Uh, you can certainly understand, but he says to God, look, if, if you will save Israel by my hand as you've promised, he wants another sign. He wants another sign. So it says, look, I'll, I'll place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. And tomorrow morning, if there's dew only on the fleece and all of the ground is dry, then I know you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece, wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Everything else was dry. You think, okay, it's a sign. I know God is with me. And Gideon says to God, look, <laughs> don't get angry. Let me, let me make one more request. Let's do another side. Okay, now, now one more test with the fleece. Only this time, make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. Well, that night God did so. Next morning, only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. Now, from this, we get a practice known as laying fleeces before the Lord. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, but a lot of people do it. They probably don't even know what the phrase is. That these are people who look for signs for God to direct them. All right, Lord, if you want me to get a new job, I pray tomorrow when my supervisor comes in, he'll be wearing a yellow shirt or some ignorant thing like that. Lots of people do this. You should not be doing this. All right, why? Because now it's different. In Gideon's day, God put up with it and was trying to encourage him. 
But Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will lead you into all truth. We now have the Spirit of God in us. Even the apostles, when they were first getting ready, Jesus said, wait till the Holy Spirit comes. Before he goes to heaven, he says, guys, wait here until the Spirit comes, and then everything will change. Well, hello. Before that, <laughs> it's a sign, okay? Before, <laughs> it's a sign to shut up, Mark. No, 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 I must keep going. So, <laughs> so, the, so they come up with these signs. So the, 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 the not Israelites, the disciples were waiting after Jesus went into heaven. Now, they're short one disciple, Judas, right? Which, by the way, don't do the sign thing. It's crazy. You can get yourself in all kinds of trouble. Some people do this thing where they'll, they'll open the Bible and they'll, and they'll lay their finger. Or God speak to me. You know, that's not good. You might go, Judas went and hanged himself. <laughs> go and do thou likewise. You know, you get in all kinds of trouble. So, again, this, this is random nonsense. People are doing, looking for these little signs. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Look at how the disciples initially do this. So they're wondering, we need someone to replace uh, Judas. So they nominated two men. This is in Acts, the first chapter, verse 23. Joseph called Barsabas, also known as Justice and Matthias. And they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you've chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. And they cast lots. They basically draw straws. And that's how they decide who the next apostle is. Now, after this, the Holy Spirit comes, and they never, ever, ever, ever do anything like that again. All right? We're not to be drawing straws and lots and praying, oh, God, let a chicken cross the road this morning as a sign. I should do what Don't be doing that kind of stuff. You're supposed to be listening to the Holy Spirit. If you're so clouded that you can't hear, that's when you come to other people to pray for you who do have a clear hearing from the Holy Spirit and give you wisdom and insight, okay? So anyway, that's, don't, don't be laying fleeces. You get fleeces, you're going to get fleeced. Not good. So okay, here we're back to the story. Now Gideon marches out to war with 32,000 men. Okay, they are outnumbered massively. But 32,000 men are going to go face this gigantic army. Now early in the morning, picking up chapter 7, Jeroboam, that's what the name they gave him, I skipped over that part of the story, but it's fine. His name is Gideon. And all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. Now, here's what's interesting about this. I was in Israel a few months ago. And as you go through the Holy Land, oftentimes they'll take you places and they'll say, here's where we think this happened. And here's where we think that happened. But then there's some places they go and they know exactly this is exactly where it happened because the Bible is so clear about where it is. This is one of those places. Well, we went to this place. This is exactly as the Bible describes it. You can see exactly where it is. And against this hill, there is a spring there to this day. It is the spring of water that Gideon's army gathered at before they went. By the way, Pastor Joe is taking a bunch of people from the church. If you want to go to Israel, they're doing a trip. March 19th through 28th. Say, Pastor, are you going? Nope. I have to work. All right? But you can go and have fun. It's an amazing experience. Pretty wild. So anyway, uh, you can check that out. So here is this place. And uh, it was neat. We actually went down and got by the, the spring where these guys did this thing. So here's the deal. The Lord says to Gideon, 
You have too many men. <laughs> Excuse me. I got 32,000 guys against a massive army. And got, you got too many guys. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel will boast against me. They'll say, oh, it was us, 32,000 guys, our own strength. We saved ourselves. Now announce to the army. Okay, anyone who trembles with fear can go home. All right, so he gets in front of the arms. All right, guys, if you're a little nervous about this, you can go home. So 22,000 men left. <laughs> Are you kidding me? 22,000? If you're nervous, go home. Oh, okay. <laughs> Have a nice time storming the castle. You know, he gets out of there. 22,000 guys split. Leaves 10,000. This is not a good day. And the Lord says to Gideon, verse 4, you still got too many guys. <laughs> oh, come on. Take them down to the water. I was there. And I'll thin it out for you there. Thin out the herd. If I say this one has to go, he has to go. If I say this one has to stay, you know, whatever. So Gideon took the men down to the water. And the Lord says to them, okay, listen, separate those who lap the water with their tongue as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Okay, so here's what's happening. You got two different kinds of guys. You got the guys who stayed alert. Remember, the army is right there. You could see, when you get there, you'll be able to see the massive plain where this huge army was camped. And it's not very far from where they're at. They stayed alert. And they took the water. and Okay, so they're lapping like a dog. But then there are other guys who just jumped down and stuck their face in the water. All right? Now they're not paying. By the way, this is a great analogy for us people of faith. You know, God wants to bless you with good things, and he wants you to enjoy the things that are here on this earth. That would be the water. The thing is, stay alert. Don't get obsessed and caught up by things. Things are not your friend. And good Lord, don't go into debt for things. Worst thing in the world. You got to go, oh, I got all these things. Yeah, you also got all this debt. You can't breathe. And by the way, you got somebody with a bunch of things, with a debt, someone with hardly any things, with no debt. Guess who envies whom? These guys always envy these guys. Take it easy. Those credit cards, it's not your friend. When they say, we've increased your credit limit, that's not a blessing from the Lord. <laughs> it's a trap. It'll suck the life out of you. All right? Now, that's not to say you can't enjoy things. You can enjoy things, but don't get obsessed in it. Don't stick your face in it. And you're not paying attention. A lot of Christians don't pay attention in their lives. They get so caught up in the world around them, they become weak and ineffective. Stay focused. So this is the analogy. So he says, all right, anybody who stays alert, keep them, and the rest of them crawl out like lizards and whatever, reptiles. They got to go. So when they get done, verse 6, 300 men... <laughs> drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs, while the rest got down on their knees and stuck their face down on their, to drink. So now the Lord says to Gideon, this is it. These 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. They're now down to 300. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300. 
who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now, what's interesting here is Gideon does not panic. Why doesn't he panic? I would think he'd be freaking out. All right? But there's a difference now. The Spirit of the Lord is on him. Again, when you allow the Spirit of God to fill you and overflow you, it will change you. It will make you better, stronger, smarter, more favor. I am not exaggerating. It's more than just a natural life. Now you have a supernatural life. That's what you want. You won't get there by being casual in your faith. And far too many people are casual in their faith. All right? Lots of people. This morning, you, you can see the church, you know. If everybody shows up at church, there's not enough room for everybody. Every once in a while, accidentally, everybody shows up at once. <laughs> Seriously, and those places jammed to the walls. But, you know, people at home right now sitting in their underwear watching me on their iPads. Hey, go to church. <laughs> now, if you can't come to church, that's what that's for. Don't sit at home. Well, you know, a fly landed on my ear, and I thought we'd rest the morning, and, you know, we don't want to rush it. Just very casual. They, just, they don't take it very seriously. You need to take your faith seriously. You take it seriously. You get into this seriously. The Spirit of God fills, overflows you. Your life becomes better. It just does. Anyone who's done it knows exactly what I'm talking about. You get further than you should ever be able to get on your own. There's a difference. Gideon now, in, a, in the face of a horrible situation, doesn't panic. And he comes up with this brilliant plan. We're going to use psychological warfare. This is amazing. So, so this is what happens. So verse 16, dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. So what does he do? He places them all around on the hills of this gigantic army all sitting there in this valley. And he spreads them all out. And they have basically these jars, clay jars, clay coverings over the torches so they can't see the torches. And then on cue, he blew the trumpet. Everybody was supposed to blow the trumpets all around them and break the jars. It was like flipping on a light switch. They didn't have light switches, all right? So it's the middle of the night. Everything's where they just had the changing of the guard, the Bible says. Gideon's out there, and on cue, so they... Boom, all these trumpets start blaring. They break the, and now these guys all wake up and they look and they see lights everywhere in the dark and hearing all these trumpets. Now, traditionally, you'd have like a thousand guys and one guy with a trumpet. They're hearing trumpets everywhere. They're seeing lights everywhere. They immediately assume they are surrounded by tens of thousands of people. And they wake up and they run out of their tents and they get confused. And the Bible says they start killing each other. Well, that's pretty cool. So the, these guys, they're watching them kill each other. So, well, that's kind of nice. You know? They're wiping each other out because they're freaking out in the dark and they're confused. And everybody they bump into they think it's an enemy. Either. And the ones who survive take off running. And then Gideon and the guys run after them. Then a bunch of other Israelites who knew they were going to win joined in. <laughs> oh, I'm for your team now. They're in first place. <laughs> so anyway, fascinating. And they have this gigantic... It is one of the greatest military victories in the history of mankind. 
You guys have seen the movie 300? Cool movie, right? It's based on a true story. 300 Spartan Greeks stood up and held up the invading Persian army long enough for the Greeks to rally and repel the invaders. Persia, that ate everything where it went, like locusts, never got into Greece. But all 300 of those men died. It's one of the great sacrifice stories of history. That's why they make all these movies and stuff about it. But Gideon defeated an entire army with 300 men and didn't take a single casualty. One of the greatest military maneuvers ever from a guy who was a dark. He didn't know anything about military, anything. He was full of fear. He was erinaceous, who knows? And with this move, he wipes out this entire army. Well, in chapter 8, verse 22, the Israelites get together and say, Hey, Gideon, rule over us, you, your son, your grandson, because you've saved us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon says, No, 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 no. I'm not going to rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord <coughs> will rule over you. And he said, I do have one request, though, if you don't mind. Each one of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. It was the custom of the Ishmaelites, who were all these people, all these ites. They'd all wear gold earrings. That was one of their things as they go into battle. And so they took the plunder. got all these dead people. They took the earrings. It's <laughs> a lot of gold. So they said, sure. So they spread out a garment, and each of them threw a ring from his plunder into it. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels, not counting the ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, the chains that were on the camel's necks. I mean, it's a ton of money. Gideon now is rich, crazy rich. He's got more money than knows what to do with it. So one of the things he does is Gideon made the gold into an ephod. Now, an ephod is a... Uh, like a, 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 a garment that the priest would wear, a fancy garment. Well, he makes one out of pure gold. So as I said, this guy is loaded. He is set for life. The, now he becomes a babe magnet. The Bible says he has so many wives, because they had multiple wives back then, but he had so many, he wound up with 70 sons. Now, usually it's a 50-50 shot, so he's probably got 150 kids. I don't know. I don't know how many women it takes to come up with that many, but that's a whole lot of chicks. You know, because, you know, because even he, though he may have been erinaceous, thank God women are not that attracted to our looks. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> but they like successful men. He was a success, successful man and he was loaded. <laughs> and they all, Gideon, hello! And he's, he's living the life of Riley, this guy, and extremely successful. But now check it out at the end. No sooner had Gideon died then the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. Oh, and by the way, before that, you know what they did with that ephod? They eventually took it and they worshipped it. That's how obsessed with it. Remember the story I told you about, about the snake, snake on a stick? They made this bronze snake and stuff. We find out later that they worshipped the snake. Anything made out of it, they were obsessed. They kept falling into this trap of idol worship. So they prostituted themselves to the Baals. They set up Baal Bereth as their god. They did not remember the Lord their god who had rescued them from the hands of their enemies on every side. And they slipped right back into the same horrible behavior. And the more the generations got away from these victories, the more corrupt they became. And then trouble would hit them big time. Next week, we will read about another judge. Very, not very many people even know the name of this guy. Jephthah. It's a fascinating story. And then we'll do Samson. 
Everybody knows Samson. That's a wild story, okay? So those will be the three judges that we'll talk about. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth and what we can learn from your word. Lord, help us to, number one, realize that we, we need to give ourselves totally to you and allow your spirit to fill us and to change us, to give us the confidence. Help us to see ourselves like you see us. But that's not going to happen by accident. It happens intentionally. Help us to be intentional in our faith, oh Lord. Help us to be alert in our faith, not to just get consumed by the world around us. We can enjoy the world around us, but help us to keep our eyes pointed towards heaven. And Lord, I pray for anyone this morning who hasn't truly come to faith and surrendered their heart to you, that they would do that today so they could start to enjoy the great blessings that come to people who trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. See you next Sunday.